0: Constance Hall. One of the most talked about bloggers in the country. Look out! Opinionated. Raw. Thought-provoking. And never shy to have an opinion. Annalise is her best friend. The yin to her yang. The gale to her Oprah. She's the chic one. Just ask her. A show for queens. By queens. No topic is too taboo. A shame-free, judge-free space. Oversharing, commiserating and celebrating. This is the Queen Sesh with Constance Hall and Annalise. Come on, girls!
1: Good morning and happy Sunday. Good morning, Constance. Good morning, gorgeous woman. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Now, happy Queen's birthday weekend. How fitting for us. I know. To be... What are we going
2: to do to celebrate
1: our birthday? Uh, We are so excited to be here. Another fresh show. Con, you're back from your UK tour. And... On the show this morning, lots lots of stuff to get through. Um, my Probably my favourite was your Shoey for nosey vlog. We're going <laughs> to chat
2: about that because cracked me I love me the up. fact that like, nobody else really liked that vlog, but oh. you just
0: love it. <laughs> I'm still laughing about it. I can't wait um, to do a Shoey
1: with you. I know, right? We're, we're going to try it. And uh, waxing war stories, one of my favourite topics. Uh, oh,
2: do you know what? Next week, let's do waxing shaving stories because I really felt left out, <laughs> <laughs> Waxing, shaving stories, no, war, shavings, shaving wars, whatever. War,
1: shaving wars, yeah, that's a good one, alright.
2: <laughs> uh,
1: and what else? Uh, June is actually bowel cancer awareness month, so we're going to be chatting to a blogger and a mum who's recently been diagnosed with stage four colon cancer.
2: And we're going to talk about David Beckham kissing his children on the lips. Yeah. What we think about that.
1: Oh, I mean, it's so shocking, isn't it?
2: Oh, Horrendous. Yeah. Her- Her- horrendous it
1: behaviour. It is. <laughs> <laughs> um, and up next, there, we're going to hear some tales from the commune. That is the Constance Hall tribe. I can't <laughs> wait. It's always entertaining. <laughs> the, the, the,
0: the Queen's Sesh.
2: Con. Your commune. I'm home. You are. It's home. so nice to be home. So when I um, when we chatted last week, I'd just gotten back, and now I'm actually you know in Margaret River. The trees, the forest, life is so good. And um, where I live is like this little cul de sac, and there's only three houses there, and then there's just forest, and it's so beautiful. And since I moved in, simultaneously, everybody is selling their houses, which <laughs> <It> is oh. <laughs> <laughs> questionable. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> whatever, so I'm not going to read too much into that. So first the, back, the people at the back that I love, oh. they said their house is up for sale. And then the people at the side that I love them, they said their house is up for sale. And then the people in front of me, I went away and I came back and they're gone. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's weird. Get but out while she's gone. <laughs> I know, that's exactly what happened. So then this new guy came over, introduced himself to us. And he was like, oh, hi, I've just moved in over there. And I was like, oh, it's so nice to meet you. And we had a chat. It was lovely. And, um, you know, I was like we are a commune, but we are not loud music pumping kind of people. No. You know, we all sort of go to bed at a reasonable time. And But having that many kids, there's going to be a lot of noise and well, screaming Well, he goes and to me, I said, do you have children? Oh. And he goes, yeah, we've got an 18-year-old and a 15-year-old. And I was like, oh, wicked. I said, we've got a 19-year-old and a 16-year-old. Because I was just sort of trying to relate that we've got, you know, similar age and then because that's one of my cousins is 19 and then one of Denim's kids is 16 and, said, yeah. and a 12 year old and then the other kids all looked at me like they were all really jealous and I was like oh and an 8 year old and a 5 year old <laughs> and two 2 year olds and we've also got a 21 year old and this is my stepdad Scott who lives <laughs> with us and this is my boyfriend Denham <laughs> There's 11 of us. And he was just (laughs) looking at me like, what the actual... And everybody just burst into tears laughing. I was like, okay, so it's a commune. My two cousins live with me because they're beautiful women and I have to live with women and they help me with my children. I have four children. My boyfriend has two. And so... Everyone was just quiet for a few minutes as they took a deep breath and accepted that they now live next door to a commune. And then did he just run like no? Then we said, Well, I was doing my creep and I was like, We are having a barbecue at five. I've got some friends coming over. You and your family are welcome to come. And he sort of backed out and he was like, Look, I'll run it past my wife. (laughs) 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 Tripped over someone's bloody dog on the way out.
0: This is the Queen
2: Sesh. Now Annalise, the latest controversy to come out of the media this week is the Beckham's are back in the public eye. Yes, loving them. Kissing their children on the lips. Now, about a year ago, Victoria Beckham was made headlines for kissing her daughter on the lips. Yeah. Everybody said it was inappropriate, blah, blah, blah. I didn't even bother weighing in because it was that stupid that I was like, I'm not even gonna talk about this. And now this week, David Beckham has kissed his daughter on the lips, which is beautiful. I know. I'd kiss David Beckham on the lips, even if he was my dad. Same. <laughs> <laughs> but it's gone. The media's gone nuts over it again, and everybody's saying it's not appropriate. I yeah. just, I don't understand. I know. It was just this beautiful, chic little picture with you know the
1: sun in their hair, and him kissing his five-year-old daughter, and Five. it
2: said "kiss for daddy" heart emoji. How beautiful is that? Like, I just couldn't believe it. It's Of course it's beautiful. It's natural. Men kiss their children oh. on the lips. So do women. I don't... And I, I don't understand why your brain would look at that
1: and think that's inappropriate. That's I, what I, I don't understand. Are people forgetting that children,
2: babies come out of women's bodies? Yeah. They suck on their breasts to fi- to get life? Like, this is... There is no no boundaries between mothers and parents and their children we should be able to kiss them on the lips co-sleep with them snuggle them squeeze them love them to death as much as we want yeah
1: and kissing is an expression of love and that is what our kids need from us it's more, more than anything we need to in kiss the world our they need our
2: love and it's just, just like animals lick their babies clean yeah you know we kiss our children it's how we express our love I couldn't believe it I actually was having the most beautiful bath with my five-year-old son last night and he very rarely jumps in my bath anymore cuz he likes to have his own baths and he baths with his sister but last night he was like can i have a bath and i was already in it when he said it and i was like yes <laughs> and he came in and i was like hey hello and he just stripped off and jumped in and then he lays his hair he doesn't ever cuz it's dreadlocked he doesn't ever ask me to wash his hair he likes to do it himself but he lays his hair back in my lap and let me wash his hair and you know considering me and him haven't had that cuz he's sort of trying to be a man all of a sudden yeah. i was so grateful that we've got that closeness and it, uh, it reminded me of the david beckham and I was thinking, what's wrong with the world? Yeah. why is the world has the world gone mad and even if you don't want to have that closeness, you don't want to kiss your children on the lips, that's fine, but what gives you the right to tell other people how they should parent their children? It's hideous
1: and you is know it? what i I'm pretty sure David Beckham is probably listening, and I, you know we, we say,
2: David Beckham, we support you. he loves his Sunday morning Queensland. So. <laughs> He lives for it. Him and Posh. Excuse me, Victoria. No, Posh doesn't even like it. She's all like, "Those chicks are so (laughs) bugging." But you know what? We we want to show our support for David
1: Beckham, and we're gonna put up a picture of us kissing one of our kids on the lips, whoever we like most that day. Um, And yeah, we encourage you to as well. And and we're gonna hashtag it. Let's hashtag. We're gonna do it. Let's hashtag. Queens
0: for kissing. Queens for kissing. (laughs) Queen Sesh. Con,
1: June is bowel cancer awareness month, and we are very honoured to chat to Nicole Cooper. Uh, she's a blogger. She's a mum. She's been diagnosed with stage four colon cancer in March. Welcome, Nicole, to the Queen Sesh. Thank you so much for chatting with us.
3: Hi, Nicole. Hi, Annalise. Hi, Constance. How are you going? Good. How are you? So well thank you.
1: Well oh, that's really good. good. And we absolutely loved your blog, Nicole, uh, which you can find at NicoleCooper.com.au. I read you. your post, The Diagnosis, and it's uh it gave me anxiety. And I know yeah. it's it's something that con definitely fears. <laughs> yep. Tell us uh, a little bit about that.
3: So I, I guess I had a brand new baby boy. He was eight months old and I was feeling, you know a little bit tired and a little bit kind of overwhelmed as a new mum and had a lot of people around me going, of course you're going to be feeling overwhelmed, of course you're going to be tired. I was trying to work and Mm. be an amazing wife and do all the housework and, you know, um, just trying to, I guess, live life as best as I could as a new totally unexperienced but totally loving it mum. And Mm. um, I was losing weight rapidly and there was one part of me that thought, oh, this is quite nice. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) I'm not going to lie. That's a good outcome. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, after a while, and I guess about five kilos, I thought, you know what, I'm I'm going to have to sort of push this and find out what's going on. Um, So yeah, were you eating normally,
2: or had you lost your Uh,
3: appetite? I'd lost my appetite a little bit, but not enough to make me think this is a problem. Um, That's sort of what happens
2: after you have a baby. I reckon your appetite goes a little bit when you're
3: breastfeeding. Totally. To- everything changes when you're breastfeeding. You know, like it's yeah. a whole new world. And you you're, yeah, not, you're not really world. looking
2: for symptoms when you're post post baby because everything no. you just put down to being the fact that I just had a child. Well, and you're tired absolutely.
1: all the time anyway. You're mm.
3: so tired yeah. all the time, and you you know, and you've got people telling you all the time, oh well, yeah, when I had a baby, this happened, and when I had a baby, this happened. You know, there's always so everything's a to normal. Everything. Yeah, yes. absolutely. 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 So I just thought, no, I need, I need to find out, you know, if it is something and it was just nagging at me, I guess. And I'd seen So you this, had okay, no, this. like, stool symptoms? I had no stool symptoms, that's no. i so no scary. I had, had, for the longest time I've been told I had irritable bowel syndrome, I've mm-hmm. had, I've always had a gut that's a bit meh. I mm-hmm. largely eat gluten-free because um, I find if I eat gluten, it's, it's considerably worse, <laughs> um, yep. Yep. but, you know, I'd never had any, Yeah, you know, very much never had any specific bowel symptoms or, you know, I, looking back and looking, you know, working with Bow Cancer Australia and, and thinking about what they do, um, I have reflected on the fact since that maybe I had darker stools than maybe was mm-hmm. normal, but who knows what a normal stool is because nobody yep. talks about what a normal stool is. You just, Oh, you know, I talk about
2: is. what a normal stool is, Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> well, not enough people talk about yep,
3: what a normal absolutely. stool is. That is for sure. Yeah. Um, Um, Yeah, so I guess I pushed it with my GP and a GP who had said, no, go away, there's nothing wrong with you. So I pushed it with another GP and and my new GP who's an absolute champion and he said, no, let's find out what it is. And he just sent me for a series of random tests and they found... Did you have a colonoscopy? I did, but that's not where I started. So I started with... a, um, a couple of different scans. So I had an ultrasound um, where they were looking for gall- gallstones and didn't see anything, mm-hmm. but they did see a couple of um, lesions. They called them mm. in my liver. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we found those, we said, no, we need to, um, you know, investigate further. We did an MRI. Um, and when they, you know, they found these lesions in my liver and said, oh, that's quite actually quite, you know, common. People who've been on birth control can have a lot of these lesions in their liver, and this can happen. But you know, younger females don't even sweat it. Don't even worry about mm-hmm. it. And then of course had an MRI and the MRI. I said no. It's cancer, and it's all over your liver. And if it's there, oh it's it's secondary, which means it's somewhere else. It started somewhere else, and it's metastasized to the liver. So, yeah, it was a it was an amazing moment. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, found yeah. out but, um, so it's huge it, they found stuff. out
2: that it started in the colon.
3: Yeah, so I, had, I went off for a, um, a colonoscopy because the assumption was if it's going to land in your liver, it's usually because it's a breast cancer or a colon cancer or bowel cancer. So I was sent off for a colonoscopy ASAP. Um, mm-hmm. I actually have had two colonoscopies within a week of each other as part of the diagnosis process.
2: Um, mm-hmm.
3: And um, and yeah, in the colonoscopy, they found a, um, a rather large tumour in, um, in my bowel. Mm-hmm. So, there so we did they it. operate and remove anything? No, no, because I have a, um, I guess, a fairly advanced cancer that's wound its way up and into my liver, um, the liver is actually the biggest problem at the moment and the liver, if anything, is going to be the thing that, that can potentially yeah. take me. Um, so they've got to focus on getting rid of all of the, the nastiness in, in the liver and, and, and making it um, surgically, I guess. Would a liver transplant be an option? A liver transplant is unfortunately not an option for people who've have um, a, a secondary liver cancer. So because mm-hmm. the cancer has spread to my liver, it's not yeah. an option. If I had a primary liver cancer, then they do. But the problem with it landing in your liver is that it's also potentially landing elsewhere. And I actually have a spot in my lung, and I have a spot on my lymph in a lymph node as well. Oh my um, God. Yeah, so and it just is, means it's that all that new, it's, isn't know. it?
1: Because it's only March this year. This all
3: happened. Yeah. So oh a couple my God! Of months. Really,
1: March? Yeah.
3: Yeah. You talk about
2: it as if it's something that you've learnt to live with for a long time. Well, I guess
3: it's a huge, such a huge change that, and it's so all-encompassing. It's everything in your life so you have to just, you know, you just have to say, okay, well, this is the new normal and this is what we're doing now so let's work it out, let's understand it, let's learn about it and let's learn how to live with it because that's what we have to do. Yep. So, yeah.
1: And, Nicole, a couple of months in, what's your prognosis? What are the docs saying?
3: So the prognosis is we have to use chemo to shrink the um, to shrink the tumours in the liver to have any option. To surgically remove the tumours in the liver, and that's the only thing that's going to potentially then put me on a life-saving track, if you like. So, okay, cool. um, my stage of cancer at stage four metastasized the extent that that it is, and spread throughout my liver. The extent that it is 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 non-surgically addressable. We can't do anything with surgery at this stage. And so, when I had my first diagnosis, which is you know my blog talks all about it, the, the sort of the oncology oncologist is like oh sorry, Nicole, you know, here's the stats and they're not great and you know, people on this sound sort of chemotherapy are really looking at a paleotube life extending treatment rather than a life saving treatment and the stats say maybe you've got two to five years and I was just like no, 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 can't deal with that we're not we're right. not going to be sitting down and just taking that so it's chemotherapy to shrink the tumours and yep. then it's get in there and remove the liver and we can remove a huge chunk of our livers um, yep. they grow back and, and, and that would yep. be great if we could make that possible um, yep. and then we go after the colon after that and it's a hugely complex series of, of operations but you know it's Probably a year of chemotherapy um, and management of of the cancer first and foremost to see if we can make that possible. And that whole plan is such a slim window of of opportunity. But rather than think about it as, you know, a pipe dream, I'm thinking about it as the game plan because I feel like that's that's something I control in terms of my outlook and my approach. So that's what I'm doing. Oh,
1: Nicole, I, I mean, reading your blog and, and chatting to you, you, you're so positive, and it's so inspiring because so many people would just, you know, crawl into a, a ball and just, not not tackle it like this, I and yeah, and yeah. Y- your outlook and and. I, as mums, we've got so much to live for, don't we?
3: Absolutely, and and I, you know, and I'm not saying I don't have my crawl into a ball moments, but I, you know, like I think it's it's such a, you know, people all all the time talk about this sort of if you have a diagnosis like this, you really can split your life up into to two lives, you know, the before and the after. But yeah. I think that that's true for so many people. You know, everybody has their adversity in their life that they have to tackle, and whether that's something like cancer or whether that's something like the breakdown of a really significant relationship or whether that's something like mental illness, you know. Like, We all have our stuff that we have to deal with. And I think that it's just taught me a lot about the fact that we are capable of taking that stuff on and we are capable of facing it head on and we are capable of doing something with it. Um, And it's also taught me a lot about, I think, bowel cancer in general is has got a, a, a bit of a rap of perhaps being a little bit of an ugly cancer, a little bit of a cancer yep. that we'd rather not talk about because, yep. you know, it is a bit uncomfortable and, and not everyone wants to talk about their poo. <laughs> but, yeah. but it's something that we have to talk about, yep. you, know, like, you know. And do you know what
2: else really gets to me is that everybody says that bowel cancer is for, like, middle-aged to older men. Oh, and absolutely. I had that when I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. I was losing a lot of blood through my bowels and I was petrified. Yep. And I yep. went... To to the doctor a good 15 times and they said to me, you probably have internal hemorrhoids because you just had a child we don't need to, Mm. we did your bloods, your bloods are fine and I got to the point where I could barely leave the house because I thought, you know, that I was so ill and that I was, and no one was taking me seriously, finally I had a a colonoscopy because I went to emergency and I demanded to be spoken to properly and so they said, oh wow, you are really sick here, have a colonoscopy on Tuesday and they found out what I had, but had I have had um, bowel cancer, that would have prolonged my diagnosis for so long Long. And I know women my age, including yourself, who have this diagnosis, so we really need to stop thinking bowel cancer is a huge killer in Australia. We need to stop thinking of it as something that won't happen to you.
3: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I think that, you know, that idea of actually owning your body, there is no one in this world who is going to stand up for you and your body That's exactly more than you right. can yourself. You yep. know, and you have to own it. You can't sit back and say, you know, the doctors work to statistics sorry the doctors work to statistics because that yep. is their job they yep. have to work to the stats you know they can't they don't have the luxury of putting every single person through a colonoscopy just because that's you know would be nice yep. to have so if you've got the symptoms or you've got the fears or you've got something that's not sitting quite right you have to push for it and you have to say no I want it I know I'm not in the at-risk group but I've decided I am at risk and I want to pursue it and yeah, you have absolutely. to own it. Absolutely, yep. I
2: could not agree more. No one's going to stick up for your body like you will.
3: No I've read, will. I read another
2: blog once, and a woman said that she was terminal, and she said, had she have been diagnosed when she very first started having symptoms and questioning it with the doctors, she wouldn't have been terminal. And that Absolutely. always, to me, that always says to me, "Nope, get that pap smear, even if it's only been one year, or get the moles checked. I mean, I am, yep. you know, a little bit obsessive about my health. I have to say, I got kicked out of the cancer clinic because I'd only been there three weeks ago, looking at my moles, but um, they were like constant no. and I was like, yes. But, you know, like it pays off in the end, I think. So for Bowel Cancer Awareness Week, that's a really nice
3: message. Yeah, and I think that, you know, let's just, just, just remember that cancer, you know, the longer we leave it, the worse it gets. And as you say, that's when it moves to a terminal status. And, you know, I, in theory, are, I'm in a terminal status and, and, and that's what... Stage four cancer is all about, but it didn't start at stage four, it started at stage one. And you know, it is enormously complex because I didn't necessarily have symptoms, but I have yeah. always had a bowel that's a little bit kind of off. And maybe I there know was an a lot of people with an off, a bit of an it. off bowel. Would you yeah.
2: recommend that if you do sort of have a little bit of that irritable bowel type thing, that you further investigate that?
3: I would absolutely say yes. You know, and I. there's no way that I can sit here now and go back and say, I want to change my experience or I would have done something differently because, you know, I'm at a stage now with a a baby boy who's about to turn one and a perfect husband who I love so much and the most amazing set of circumstances around me and I wouldn't change that for the world and and maybe if I'd had that colonoscopy three or four years ago, I wouldn't have him. You know, things could be different and I don't want to change things. For me now, and I think for my outlook looking forward, I just have to be positive on the path that I'm on, but that's me and I think a lot of people who aren't on that path at that stage can go well what could I change and what could I think about and I think if you've got bowel symptoms then you need to own those bowel symptoms and just putting it down to a wishy-washy irritable bowel syndrome diagnosis is not enough you need to seek more information would would be what I would say.
1: Thank you so much Nicole and people can check out more info bowelcanceraustralia.org also we'd love to share your blog on our Facebook page. I'll definitely be following your
2: blog Nicole so interesting thank you so much. Thank you so
3: much guys, really appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Nicole. Great great really to chat. wish you all the best. Yeah. Thank you. Thank
2: you.
0: This is The Queen Sesh.
2: Now, Annalise, the other night I was trying to get to sleep and, you know, we can't sleep unless we're having a scroll through Facebook these days. It's like, you know, it's how we meditate. And something came up on my news feed (laughs) that said, shoey for Nolsey. Actually, when you said to me, let's talk about the shoey for Nolsey, I I thought that you had like a secret hidden camera crew in the studio and they were going to come in with a (laughs) shoey and (laughs) have a shoey for Halsey. So I was like all excited, but I'm not having my first shoe. (laughs) For any of our listeners who don't know what a Shoei is, I didn't either until I became friends with some of the girls that worked at my daycare, (laughs) and um, they're all like 18. A Shoei is when you're out drinking and all of a sudden you take off your shoe and you scull your beer from it. That sounds rank, it is rank, but when I saw Shoei for Shano, I... I clicked on the news story and I watched this video of Shannon Noel getting a drink, to skull, her drink, doing a shoey from her shoe or his shoe, I don't know whose shoe it was. And he was chanting, that come on, shoey for Shannon. <laughs> 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 Which was hilarious, yeah. So then I was like lying there thinking about how funny it is, reading all the comments, they were even funnier. Yeah. You know, it was just this hilarious little world of shoeys. Yeah. And, um... And then I couldn't sleep because this is the way my brain works. And I was thinking, how come Shano's out there having all this fun? Having a shooey. And having a (laughs) shoey. And I've never even had a (laughs) shooey. And Shano's older than me and he's got three kids. Yes, I've got four. But I was like, why aren't I living my best life (laughs) while Shano is? And then I realised because women are treated so bloody differently to men in the media, in the public eye. And Shano is just this lovable larrikin, this great Aussie hero. If it was a shoey for Halsey, oh. if I was filmed out there <laughs> doing a shoo come, come on, babe. I'd be so Chewy for Halsey, Drink up, love. <laughs> You'd be wrapped, but I I'd be in the middle of a PR crisis. And it would all be about where are her children, yep. this is despicable behaviour, she is not a role model. How many times have I heard that, that I'm not a role model? I've never once claimed to be a role model. If anything, I always tell people, don't do as I do. My <laughs> life is a mess. And so... <laughs> Oh, uh, the injustices were mind-boggling. I'm loving your <laughs> blogs at the moment, Con. They, uh, they're
1: feistier than ever. And because do you they're know they're what? they like, than ever. I'm, I'm cracking up, like literally lolling when I'm reading your blogs. I'm loving oh, it. Oh, thanks. Because
2: yeah. I b- backed off vlogging for a while mm. and because there was so much haters. And then I just had this epiphany and I was like, do you know what? I'm just going to get fiercer and more proud and yeah. more funny and more loving. And, you know, that's how I'm going to combat all this hate. And it seems to have... You know, like, whether it's working or not, it's it's making me less attentive to all of the hate that I tend to get over I love and over it. again. Yeah, well, hate, haters gone hate, bay. you know. <laughs> That's what they're going to do, bay. They just love keep, it. Just keep living your best life. That's you know you what I do. always say whenever I'm doing one of my shows and people ask me, how do you deal with the haters? I always say, you know, like, the haters aren't living their best lives. No. Having these amazing dinners and these amazing lunches and then, like, going, you know, on a date with this hot guy and going, excuse me for a second, I've just got to go and call Clinton's <laughs> Hall of <laughs> I'll be back in one minute. (laughs)
0: Uh, That's my girl. This is The Queen Sesh with Constance Hall and Annalise. Come on, girls.
1: And we are back. And Con, you are fresh... Back pretty fresh from your UK tour, promoting your book, Like a Queen. And if you haven't heard of my friend, Con, she's got a million followers on Facebook. And I'm her she's bestie. Amazing. <laughs> I'm Annalise. We've been best mates since we were five. Um, I'm the Gale to her Oprah, <laughs> um, some people have said. and
2: <laughs> You sound like Mr G, I'm telling
1: you. <laughs> He's literally my idol in life. I know.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Some people say.
1: (laughs) Still to come this hour, I don't even know what we're doing. No, okay, we're going to, hopefully, we are going to find out how to get children to eat vegetables because it's something that I don't know anything about.
2: Age-old question. Yeah,
1: and so hopefully we'll we'll figure it out and Mm. and be told. Our
2: malnourished kids are all going to be really grateful for this chat.
1: (laughs) And also waxing war stories. One of my favourite things to chat about, Con, is awkward, embarrassing
2: waxing stories. Up next, we're going to be talking about miscarriages and baby loss, which is a really tough topic. That's why we've got an expert in counselling coming to give us some advice and shed some knowledge. Yeah.
0: Queen Sesh. This
2: week I wrote a blog about something that came up in the media which was beautiful Emma had suffered a miscarriage and instead of I mean, obviously, she got a lot of love and a lot of support, but she had uh, one really nasty comment. Somebody told her that she was milking her miscarriage. (sighs) I don't think there's a woman on earth who read that story who wasn't filled with anger and fury. Of course, I wrote a post about it, and um, we're lucky enough now to be joined by Lindy. Thank you so
1: much for coming on chatting with us today. Can you please tell everyone what SANS, what, what do you guys do?
4: Okay, so Sand, we uh, support bereaved uh, parents and families when they have a baby die, and that could mean from uh, miscarriage, stillbirth, newborn death, or medical termination.
1: And it's it's so common, isn't it? Like I, it's something that's not talked about. But you know, I saw on your your site, you know, one in four pregnancies ends in miscarriage. Yes. yes. Um, and five babies are stillborn every day in Australia. That just, uh, it's just not something that you hear about all too often.
4: No, and I think until someone close to you or someone you know um, experiences this, you, you don't know. And, and it's fine that people go about, you know, and they have that wonderful innocence, but then when you start reading these statistics, you go, wow, how come I didn't know? Yeah, and wh- mm. why do you think there's such
1: a stigma around it? Why do you, why do you think we don't talk about it enough?
4: I think that um, if we think about it, it is a pretty devastating, uh, hard topic to talk about. Babies Mm. are not meant to die. Mm. And therefore, you know, um, I think as a society, we've got to the point where, well, if we don't talk about it, you know, people will just move on and it'll all be sort of um, forgotten. But we've found as more people are wanting to have their voices heard... And have their grief acknowledged. That, um, you know, they're talking about it more. Yeah, and mm. Lindy,
1: you've you've had hand experience with losing a child. Is is that what inspired you to get into this sort of work?
4: Oh, absolutely. And um, I I always feel so privileged to be able to support other parents, um, knowing that although grief is very unique and our experiences are very different that I you know that Sans does have an understanding um about that horrible devastating time Mm. um, when a baby dies so
2: it'd be really helpful as somebody who had lost a baby to be able to speak to somebody else who had two rather than somebody who was from the outside looking in I suppose
4: yeah, and I think that's what we, we often hear and a lot of people come back and talk to us later. And a lot of people go on to become trained volunteer parent mm. supporters with FANS mm. because of their experience. And, um, you know, they found that by talking to someone that understands that they found this safe space to be able to express everything they felt and somehow have their grief normalised in a way you know, if we think about things yep. that we've read recently with Emma, she talks about sitting in her pyjamas, you know, for days. Well, that's fine. Yeah. yeah. You know, that is fine. And to just to be able to have someone that, that understands, say, you know, that's okay. That's what you need to do. That's what you need to do.
2: Absolutely. I also find sometimes when, when it comes to not talking about it, with people that I know who have experienced huge amounts of loss, they often don't talk about things because they are trying to protect the people around them from feeling uncomfortable because yeah. other people don't know how to react. And we had some um, friends from our community that lost a child a while ago and they um, now do what you do over in England. though, And they always yeah. say that um, it's it, the heartbreaking thing is that people don't know how to talk to them anymore. And people are often avoiding them because in the beginning you get a lot of people saying, are you okay? What can I do to help? But obviously when it comes to losing a child, there is no beginning and end. It's oh. a grief that you learn to live with. And and they were then went on to say that a lot of um, their friends and family would sort of back off a bit because it was just so constant. So I think that if as members of the community who aren't going through it and who haven't been through it, to learn how to be able to talk about it in a comfortable way so that we're not making people feel guilty about talking about their own loss
4: because it's making you uncomfortable, do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And and, and I have felt that, and, and we, yep. we always hear that at sounds about, you know, we don't talk about it because other people are uncomfortable. I mean, with time and life experience, um, you know, a lot of people get to the point where I, I know that I'll just, you know, I'll mention my babies, I'll mention my miscarriage, and I don't feel guilty about that anymore. Yeah, great. Um, but yeah, but for a lot of people, you know, they hold it very close to their hearts and they don't want to upset people. Um, Unbelievable, you, isn't it? Yeah, you feel like you're supporting people yeah. um, because your baby died. And, and yep. you know, we, we always say, you know, if you don't know what to say and do, then that's what you say and do. You know, yeah, just depends. as long as you're there saying yeah. it and
2: doing it. Yes, I,
4: yep. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. But I'll, I'll, yep. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Another piece of advice that this this guy gave us because we another person lost their child and he gave us heaps of advice on how to support them is he was saying, when you lose a child, all you have is their memory. So don't take that memory away. Bring them up all the time. Let them be part of the memories. Still, you know, mention their name. Don't be scared to mention their name because the you're not reminding the grieving parents of the baby. You're they're always going to be thinking about the baby anyway. You're actually just enabling them to be open about what they're thinking about. And I really like that and so I think that reading a lot of his stuff sort of made me feel a little bit more comfortable to talk talk to grieving parents and it gave me a little bit more confidence to be able to, you know, like connect with them absolutely. and not being scared of offending
4: them or upsetting them, you know? Look, absolutely and, you know, you're right on the mark there where, you know, all that you have, you know, if you've had a miscarriage, some people don't even have that scan picture or even a pregnancy test, so you create those memories. You know, and and, uh, other people help you create those memories by, you know, if you've named your baby, by, you know, saying your baby's name, by remembering due dates and anniversaries and, you know, not to be be scared of upsetting the parent. Like you said, you know, these parents are already upset. They're already remembering their baby. But what does upset them is when no one acknowledges their baby or remembers their baby. Yeah, absolutely,
2: because I think even, like, it's not the same scale, but when I lost my dad, the biggest fear for me was that the memory was going to go away, and I just wanted people to always talk about him, you know, like, that was just, and obviously it's a different thing losing a child, but I can imagine to the same extent, like, you don't want your baby's life to have
4: disappeared. No, and I think if you think about that, when people, you know, lose their parents or, you know, um, other significant people in their lives, for most of that, they have photos, they have memories in their minds, they have little mm. things where when the baby dies... There's no know, stories and have conversations, Yeah, No, all you have is the dreams that you had, whether that be, you know, as soon as you get pregnant, you're thinking about, is it a son, is it a daughter, yeah, you know, um, names, you know, even to the point where I might have to get a bigger car or what. Who will they go to you yeah. know, you've, you've oh, the minute I get pregnant, emotions. I start thinking about
2: oh. everything their whole
4: yes. life you know yes absolutely so when when that baby dies from miscarriage is that you know that that whole dream is shattered and you've you've lost that part of your life mm. at that point where um you know you're no longer pregnant and you're no longer going to have this baby, but that baby is still part of your family,
1: mm. Lynnie, thank you so much for sharing that with us today. And uh, if you want to reach out to Sands or donate as well, please go to sands.org.au. Thank you so much, Thank Linnie. you so much.
4: It's thank a lovely snow there. Thank you, you so much around. for your acknowledgement um, of SANS and your acknowledgement of Bruce's parents and what they feel.
0: This is The Queen's Sesh.
1: Con. Sands. I have had another awkward encounter. I just—I feel like I'm doing
2: this a lot lately. How far into our show do we get before you start talking about your vagina <laughs> every week? <laughs> so yeah,
1: it, it is a little bit about my vag. So I—I I decided to have a Brazilian,
2: and um, it's been just—you make out as if you decided like that was just something weird and random, but you've been having Brazilians since. Oh, I used what, to 2000? get them. I used to get them all the time, and way before
1: then. Didn't you get lasers? Yeah, it grew back after pregnancy. I don't want to talk about it. It's <laughs> a waste of money. But it had been about 180 years and I had just let it all go. It was like 1970s. have never seen you in the It was you should bush. me a photo. So I just, uh, you know, I was getting a wax and I thought, you know what, I'll oh, just treat myself, treat my husband, I'll get a Brazilian. Just, you know, show up at home and... So I was getting the wax, and I thought maybe she. Can I just clarify? Do. Like the Brazilian—is that where everything's gone? No, well, I kept I kept on top because okay. you know, being naked around my sons, I just like to have something up there. But it's porn star downstairs. Okay. So I thought maybe, you know, sometimes you go to these waxing places and they have little modesty paper G. No, we're just frog legs all out. I thought, cool, she's going to give me a little trim. No, she went right for it, just ripping out hair nearly down to my knees. I was, like, crying in pain. Oh,
2: my God. I survived
1: that, barely. This is why I shave. (laughs) And... I noticed like her head was like really close to me down there like, <laughs> like I mean like centimeters like I oh was like I was like frozen like what 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 is she doing now like we, we're we done and she started
2: squeezing my ankle <laughs> oh my god are you serious are you absolutely serious She is my spirit animal. I would do the same. I would I can't walk past an ingrown. But it was it was so awkward because she was like con,
1: she was like centimeters from me. Like her face was right there and she said. I hope you were clean. Like, it was so intimate. I felt like I should have taken her out
2: for a coffee or something. Oh, my God, yeah. You'd have been like, I thought we should kiss first. <laughs> oh,
1: so you know me. I, I love my war stories. Did and you say anything to her? Was there an awkward conversation
2: or just, did you oh, just lie there? I was
1: paying. And when I was paying at the end, like, her manager was there. I was like, thanks so much. You're, you're very thorough. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, we asked on our Facebook page, uh, the Queen Sesh, your waxing war stories. Let's overshare. I can't wait. We'll be chatting to you next.
0: The, the, the Queen Sesh.
1: Con just before I was oversharing about my very intimate Brazilian waxing experience. Where the lovely, very thorough lady, she went there and she She got stuck into my ingrown. The ingrown
2: was calling her. It was going, "Help! (laughs) Release me!" I'm so you know. Actually, I don't
1: embarrass easily, but I am embarrassed. But it was just too. It was too. You're going red. I can see. (laughs) (laughs) But I want to like I I always do. I like to hear from other people who hopefully have worse experiences because it makes me feel better. Of course. So misery loves
2: company. (laughs)
1: And we've got Renee from New South Wales. What is your waxing war story? My waxing war story is ending up with second-degree burns (gasps) all over my... It was great. Oh, oh my God. did you feel was it was horrible. too hot going on? Well, it,
4: it, <gasps> it was for was my horrible. 19th birthday. So they treated me to oh. a motel by the beach and they booked me into a day spa. So I got a facial and they're like, you may as well get a Brazilian and tidy up. Are you there? I'm like, cool, no worries. Never had it done. I'm like, but this will be pretty awesome. Got in there and I ended up with the most sour bitch of a woman. And she's just you know, how they're like, right? Oh, drop your Dax, you know, give yourself a quick wipe and and we'll just get on with it. Yeah. And I'm laying there and she starts putting the wax on and I'm like, um, that's a little bit hot and her famous last words to me were, I'm the expert Oh, my oh, God. No. And And afterwards, like, no word of a lie, I look like a sort of underplucked, overcooked chicken at
2: the end
1: oh,
2: of it. Oh, no. <laughs> that happened to my friend, and she showed me, and I was like, babe, you look like you've got an STD. Oh. You cannot <laughs> pick up with that. <laughs>
1: and we've got Rachel from Melbourne. Rachel, what is your waxing war
4: story? Oh, I no, went. You to don't it. even want to tell us. <laughs> Come on. You know when I go to a dinner party and they say, "What's your most embarrassing story?" It's this one. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. I, yes. I love that it's
2: on national night. radio. <laughs> uh,
4: so I went
3: to the beautician before my wedding, and so I was like, "Surprise!" My husband oh, on our wedding nice. night, and it was my first time. And she's like, "Hi down, blah blah blah." I did all the stuff, and she finished, and then she goes, "Oh, hang on, you've just got some tissue." I was like, "No." And it was too late, and she like grabbed the string of my tampon (gasps) and tried to pull it out, and um, she realised what had happened, and she's like trying to like put it back in, and she's trying to put it back in, and it was tragically embarrassing for both of us. (laughs) Oh my god, that's
1: so much worse than my (laughs) ingrown.
2: They don't need to be seen by anyone, not even us. (laughs) Oh, thank you so
1: much, Rachel, for that. That's made my day. Thank you, Rachel, you poor love. I've just got visuals
2: of, of <laughs> her pushing back in. That's
1: my favourite part.
0: <laughs> this is the Queen Sesh.
1: Con, we are coming to the end of our sesh.
0: Terrible news,
2: Anne. I
1: know, but we do like to finish the show each week on Queen Vice, which is advice for queens. And this week, our producer Ellie threw it out on our Facebook page, which I saw you had a a lol at. You know, what sort of advice would you like to ask the girls? You know, relationships, fashion. Relationships, <laughs> fashion.
2: We're, it we're was hilarious. No I, was, I thought you'd written it. <laughs> and I was like, is she been drinking? <laughs> <laughs> what anyone want to know, like, what's the current trend from a bogan hippie whose relationship's fallen apart? <laughs> or like a 30
1: something mum who just, yeah, no, I don't, anyway. Yeah, no. <laughs> we, we like to outsource the advice. So, what, something came through from our Facebook page and Tegan, love Tegan, she said something that I can so relate to at the moment. I have a very fussy seven-year-old boy who doesn't eat any veggies. No veggies, not even chips, any ideas on how to him, how to get him to eat them. She's tried everything. She's even bought a Thermomix to hide veggies. He just will not try anything new. So
2: I I think I should take this one, Any (laughs) advice, welcome. (laughs) Next resort,
1: he's going on Gumtree. And I can totally relate to that. Because we have no clue
2: and um, we can't get our own kids to eat vegetables. (laughs) My son eats two-minute noodles. He lives on them. And then he screams for an hour and a half in the bathroom where he's locked himself with a packet of Oreos. So... <laughs> so we find a friend, um,
1: and that friend is Aloysa Hurigan. She's the Nutrition Program Manager from Nutrition Australia. Welcome, Aloysa. Welcome. Thank you for sharing Thank your, you. your wisdom you. with <laughs> us. How do we get our kids to eat vegetables?
5: Well, it is a challenge and I heard just before your stories and I thought they, they sound challenging, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, opportunities to try and get kids to uh, eat veggies. But I think the answer is never give up. You know, um, children, the more you sort of show children veggies, let them touch and feel them, um, see that they're a normal part of the meal the more likely they will be to eat them. So I guess that's Mm -hmm. first word of advice is just don't give up.
2: Um, (laughs) I've heard that before. I think that's great advice
5: because sometimes in the back of your
2: head you can just think, oh, bugger it, we'll have a sausage and plain pasta for
5: dinner then, you know? And and it depends a bit on the age of the child. Like, you know, in that age, that sort of three- to five-year-old age where children start to assert their little identities and and some of the refusal can be about... um, can really be about trying to be their own little person. Yeah. And, and testing you. And uh, do you feel tested sometimes? Oh, uh, yeah,
2: I'm tested too yep, for our state. Yep, yep. And I fail as well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, and what about, Aloysia, blending veggies? Because I absolutely have to do that or I don't think my son would still be standing, my two-year-old. I Nutribullet everything. Oh, he would
2: be Alois, so he would be fine. <laughs> <laughs> He'd definitely still be standing. <laughs> is that right? Like, obviously,
1: we, we have guilt and we try and like blend nutrition into our kids' mouths um, and hide it. Is that,
5: is that okay? Can we kill st- still keep doing that? Look, I think it's fine to put things in in different places because they still will taste a flavour but it's also important for them to actually See understand them. the texture and mm. the and the seeing of it and I guess getting kids involved in helping in any way with that, even if you're going to blend them, you know, get them to blend it in mm. the, you know, because you don't want to just you know, the, the blendings don't a secret. like being <laughs> tricked <that> much. <laughs> right.
2: The blending's done at late at night in the cupboard. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Uh, I've no definitely yeah, I really like Thank that. Thank you advice. for this wisdom. We're yeah, going to try. try. We're just going to keep trying. That's all and we that's can. And that's it, We're not going to give what up. You can do. Yeah, okay, well,
5: good luck. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, bye.
1: And we will be back from 7am next Sunday. And oh, please no, contact us it. anytime on our Facebook page. We'll Search The next, Sesh. Queen Sesh. And, and our podcast. Absolutely. Download our podcast, all of our extended interviews, anything you've missed. You download can catch up our on podcast
2: because if we become number one, that'll be really good for our egos. Exactly. Thanks,
0: Queen. <laughs> it's Have a great week. Which is week. pretty much
2: the most important part.
0: <laughs> Have a good week. The, 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 the Queen Sesh.